breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This. Always an honor to be with all of you. If you're coming back, thank you. Thanks for getting another dose, another helping of the latest from the front lines of reform, the front lines of an American Muslim who is willing and able, who admits and recognizes that we have to take on the root causes, the ideology of political Islam that is the conveyor belt, that is the pathway towards radicalization and this is where it begins. This is where we start to discuss some of the ideas that I think are the root cause that can begin to educate the world, the community. And I use things at the top of the news that I think, when examined, can become clinics, educational moments, teaching moments for the rest of us to take in what it is we can change, what we can improve about the way we approach Muslims in America or across the planet. This week, we were horrified since my last discussion with you, my last podcast last Saturday, to hear about another major mass shooting, terrorism, act of horrific domestic terror committed by a heinous individual who thankfully was apprehended very quickly. This was in El Paso. We saw a Walmart that was shot up, people running, screaming, horrifically, and 20 souls lost and many more injured and still recovering. And as much as it becomes trite, it's never said too much. Our prayers are with them. Our prayers are with the victims, with their families, and with our country. And yet another act of terror on our soil. You know, I'm first I have to tell you, I get tired of folks on Twitter and elsewhere saying, enough with the prayers, and sort of they, they minimize, they ridicule people who pray, who rely on God. First of all, it's an honor to rely on God, to fall back to God when you feel that you're hopeless, when we should not only remember him when we're suffering, when we're in pain, but when we do, I think it's at the core of who we are as people of faith, regardless of what faith that is. Every day I I see patients, I've been practicing medicine for over 20 years, and I see patients who their only hope is believe in God. And I might say to them 5, 10, 15 times a day, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the biopsy results be negative. I'm praying that you respond to the chemotherapy. I'm praying that your heart recover. That doesn't become trite. That doesn't become old. I might have said it to them last week when I spoke to them, and they never tire of hearing the the name of God invoked. So, enough with that nonsense. It never becomes trite. It never becomes old. It is part of who we are as a faithful nation. When it comes to terrorism, we have an illness. An illness that needs treatment. It needs analysis, Certain people on the left, and yes, many, quite rationally at times, say we need possibly better laws. 
mandatory background checks on everybody purchasing a weapon. Red flag laws that look at possibly episodes in which an individual can be raised, this individual. And a red flag law might, might have saved our community from this act of terror in El Paso in which this gentleman was known in high school to have had a kill list, I believe. There was another act in Dayton, by the way, by an individual whose motivation is still being assessed, but it was clearly an act of terrorism also. And we can get into whether red flag laws would be helpful, the problems behind them. I, I would say one thing about red flag laws. Yes, best of circumstances, ideally, if... A person is in the right place, has the right memory of understanding what a red flag law is, which is going to need mass education in America. And then that law is used appropriately, it might save somebody's life. But I'll point you to Pakistan, I'll point you to Saudi Arabia. In Pakistan, often individual citizens report their family, their brothers, their uncles that they have vendettas against and say, oh, he left Islam, he's no longer a Muslim, he's an apostate, so they arrest him for apostasy. He said the Quran should be burned, or he ripped out a page of the Quran, as we saw with a young girl who was in jail for over 10 years for blasphemy because she was a Christian. And it was just a vendetta, a score being settled in which somebody reported somebody else's ideas. So, when you're reporting ideas before an act of a criminal act has been committed. Now, there's already laws preventing people from having kill lists and other acts that are overt, obvious signs of threats to kill. You don't have a freedom to threaten to kill. But if you have ideas that are radical, that is protected. We don't have hate speech laws in America for a reason, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But again, I would just point you, be careful with the red flag laws. I think it might be necessary, but it needs to be circumscribed with a firewall. I don't want to get into too much of the gun debate. I think when you look at problems that should not only be about the, the weapons, but who's shooting them. We saw other knife attacks this week, so it's not just the weapon. And you can look at the numbers of those killed with knives in America versus guns. It can be loneliness issues, it can be psychiatric, a poor psychiatric system, and I can certainly testify to that as a physician struggling for decades trying to get patients the right psychotherapy and coverage with their insurance plans to be treated for mental illness. Some have cited the gamification. And before you start telling me, well, gaming is definitely a problem because you kids learn to mow down people through guns and others, yes, it would seem possibly intuitive that that might lead to it, but then they cite Japan as a country with much less gun violence, but so many variables. So many variables there. Not only cultural differences, but it's not been analyzed. It needs to be studied. Certainly needs to be studied. At least to educate parents about it. And then in the wake of this terror... And to the point of this program, of this podcast, we look at the tenor of discourse immediately because the El Paso killer had cited 
the manifesto of the church Christ killer in New Zealand who shot up two mosques, killed 50, talked about the great replacement, quote-unquote. And this manifesto, by the way, it was not just a far-right extremist manifesto, but had flavors of environmentalism, had flavors of pro-China, pro-communism. So as we see in the extremes, I would tell you that we're learning that when it comes to, whether it's domestic or international terrorism, these global networks are connected often. The root cause is a battle of the extremes, and when they reach the extremes, they come together, as we've seen globally in history. Look back at World War II, the far left met the far right. That's why you have national socialist movements that are racial fascistic movements of the far, far extreme right that meet the far, far extreme left with communist socialist ideology. And America's getting an education about that. But I have to tell you what I want to look at today is how is it labeled? For the first few days it was labeled it was labeled white supremacism. And that's an appropriate that's an appropriate designation is that this is a racial Arianism, supremacism that is anti-immigration, that is fascistic, that is xenophobic, and otherwise. It's obvious that this is a fascistic movement. It's obvious that, you know, it's amazing to me. You see the left just bend over backwards now to, to repeat repeatedly say that this is a byproduct of the tenor that's been produced by President Trump and the Trump administration. And, and that connection is not only absurd, and yes, the president could do better in articulating a stance that is clear against not only white supremacism, but call them out by names and then specifically articulate that it is his mission of his administration to eradicate it, to, to, to put an end to the terrorism committed by white supremacists. His actual, the, the White House counterterrorism strategy devoted a significant amount of time to white supremacism and their associated radicalization and terrorism. It was not all about Islamist terror. They showed different aspects of it. They showed the anti-Semitism of the Tree of Life incident, act of terror and hate. And yes, we have seen an uptick in the last few years that's obvious and unmistakable. But let's talk for a second about this term. What do we call it? I've spent the last 18 years trying to narrow down for all of you, what do we call radical Islamist terrorism? It's Islamist terrorism. The act is terror because it's a political act that seeks asynchronous warfare against innocent noncombatants, not in a declared war, and uses civilians as targets. That's terrorism. It is Islamist because the ideology... 
is one of Islamist supremacism that wants to put into place Islamic law, Sharia states, etc. So now let's look at white supremacism. What is that all about? It's about terrorists that want to prevent non-whites, non-folks that don't belong to their race, into America, into New Zealand, into Australia, whatever it might be, and do so through acts of terror in order to seek change because they see their race fascistically as the dominant. Now, we can do some compare and contrast, which has been spreading all over, started, by the way, by the left. And compare and contrast the way these things have been covered. Please, how have they been covered? The Boston bomber, nobody would describe him as Islamist, described as a normal guy, as his faith. The mosque he went to was described as they, they kicked him out. The ideology had nothing had nothing to do with the anti-Semitism or anything. The Orlando shoot, the Orlando terrorist called 911 and, and declared his allegiance to al-Baghdadi and ISIS. And the FBI wouldn't even release his audio. And yet the manifesto of this white supremacist was released immediately, posted on Drudge, etc., which is fine. I think people should read it. I disagree with the New Zealand government that suppressed the Great Replacement Manifesto. I think we need to learn and understand the root causes. But then, now we see the transformation of white supremacism, the word, to now being from the left, white nationalism. Why? Because it's not only they see now there's a focus, so they want to actually demonize anyone who has pride in American nationalism. And yes, nationalism to the extreme can be an evil thing. But nationalism that looks at our founding fathers, our constitutional law, our Bill of Rights, our separation of powers, what the Tuckville talk talks about in democracy in America, that nationalism is our identity and it is our strength. It is um, the world's last best hope as Abraham Lincoln described it. It is why I joined the Navy. It is why I would die for this country. So nationalism, the identity that unites us under e pluribus unum, that national identity should not become a scary word. And this little bleed from white supremacism, all of a sudden now we're talking white nationalism. Yeah, white nationalism, if you describe it as white national supremacism, okay, fine, that's evil. The nationalism of the Ba'ath Party in Syria is evil. It's an Arab fascist nationalism. The nationalism of the fascism of the Nazis is evil under German, their interpretation of German nationalism. But a German national identity, that's a nationalism that prides itself in secular democracy and liberalism and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that is not evil. So I would not use a term without defining it and without associating with supremacism. And yet we see Ilhan Omar this week tweet out, in addition to comprehensive gun reform legislation, we need to tackle the very existence of white supremacy in this nation. White nationalism is domestic terrorism. And we cannot continue to let it claim the lives of innocents. White nationalism is domestic terrorism. Ladies and gentlemen, we see now the equation of a of a death penalty type crime of domestic terrorism. That is not only first degree murder, but it is a hate crime to be convicted in federal law by the death penalty. 
she describes white nationalism is domestic terrorism. So therefore, an idea, whatever you want to repulsively define it, we do not have laws against ideas. And now the left, the Islamists working with them, have equated domestic terrorism with white nationalism. And that equation is exactly what happens in Saudi Arabia. It's exactly what happens in Venezuela. When the Saudi people speak up against their government, when the Iranian people speak up against their government, they are arrested for domestic terrorism because they are inciting violence against the king, against the government, against the nizam in Arabic, is the regime, the government. So their ideas are transformed like that into terrorism. And they're equated and used. Forget their dissent, forget their free speech. It is terrorism because it incites. And that's exactly the way Congresswoman Ilhan Omar thinks and all of her Islamist friends that want to outlaw speech against They don't call it bigotry against Muslims. They call it Islamophobia for a reason because they want to outlaw criticism of Islam no different than the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation Countries, do. So I beg you, hold on to the concept of nationalism. It's important. Yes, at its extreme, we need to defeat it. And at its extreme dissolution, we need to defeat it too. Because the only strength we have against political Islam that's an Islamic identity of a green flag of Islam with a constitution, which is the Quran, the only strength we have is a national identity based in secular reason, liberal democracy under God, not under Islam, and as a united democracy, not under a white race. If we're going to defeat any type of extremism, this battle of the extremes, as Ryan Morrow and others are that are experts in this field are trying to educate folks, if we defeat the extremes of all kinds, we need to understand what they are and describe them as such. But don't misuse nationalism as an extremist thing by definition. Yes, white supremacism should be eradicated as an idea and defeated, not outlawed. You can't defeat something you push underground. I never called for any outlaw of the rights of Islamists to, to spew anti-Semitism, to spew anti-Americanism, to spew conspiracy theories. I never did. I did say they should be videoed, they should be publicized and marginalized as the haters of our community. Just look online to what Reza Eslan now is saying on Twitter and elsewhere using profane language attacking conservatives and others as being supremacist just by definition of voting for President Trump. Look at his policies. Might disagree with how he presents himself and says things at times. His policies in the last two years have been consistently conservative. So to say that that equates, you might disagree with the conservatism, but to say that that equates with terrorism and with, 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 with white supremacism is absurd. Then I have to talk about, I read this other tweet 
from Ilhan Omar. And also, by the way, Linda Sarsour has been saying similar things. So the 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 celebrity Islamists, if you will. Ilhan Omar thanked Mad Dus. I'll remind you, Mad Dus is from the Center for American Progress, the far left Soros outfit that produced tons of false information about much of our work regarding jihad, the fight against jihad. But Matt said, yes, white nationalist terrorism needs to be taken way more seriously, but simply pointing out a new war on terror at it would be a disastrous mistake. And Ilhan chimes in. She says, this is absolutely right. White nationalism is a terroristic threat. But we must not repeat the mistakes of the war on terror. The way to defeat white nationalist terrorism is to defeat the ideology that allows it to take hold. Ladies and gentlemen, let me read this to you again. The way to defeat white nationalist terrorism is to defeat the ideology that allows it to take hold. And she said, don't repeat the mistakes of the war on terror. This is like a, the, the, the Islamists have become a parody of themselves. We were saying this for decades, going into our end of our second decade now, after 9-11, many of us Muslims were calling upon America to wake up to the fact that there are many, if not the tip of the iceberg is the radical terror groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Jamaat, Islamiyah and others. But the political movements of the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic Society in North America, the, the non-violent component of it is the breeding ground that some break off to become violent and check out from civil society and become terrorists. But the breeding ground is the translations of the same Qur'an that's translated in a heinous, anti-Semitic way. The imams, the clerics that dehumanize Jews on a weekly basis at the Friday sermons in Saudi Arabia or Iran and elsewhere that chant death to America as they also invoke the name of God. And we were talking about the conveyor belt of Islamism towards radical Islamism and pundit after pundit to the point that Muslim reformers really are not, you won't see them anymore on CNN, MSNBC, because that narrative of Islam being an ideology rather than a race, a diverse ideology that has a battle against theocracy happening within, that theocracy is the root cause of terrorism for Muslim communities. That's in denial because it doesn't fit the narrative of Muslims as victims. And now we see, after a clear act of white supremacist terror, the Islamists are all of a sudden, within three days, tweeting about the way to defeat it is to defeat the ideology that allows it to take hold. So all of a sudden, these non-experts, as they said, we were not experts in Islamist terrorism, we shouldn't be opining over and over. These folks who have never studied white radicalization, are now citing statistics, and I'm going to get to those statistics in a second, but citing statistics and saying that we need to stop the ideology from taking hold. So is this, do, do they have any sense of self-awareness? 
I, I don't think they have any sense of self-awareness at all. They don't even see how much of a parody of themselves they've become. A parody. Yes, we should look at the ideology that's the root cause. And yes, once you do that, you will see, you will see, ladies and gentlemen, that Islamist terror has a billions of dollars funding its ideology from networks like Al Jazeera in Qatar, Turkish television, Islamist television out of Iran, Press TV, Peace TV with Zakir Naik, on and on. The, the, the demonization of the West, the demonization of Israel, the radical interpretations of the Quran, the use of hadith, most, much of which isn't even legitimate hadith in order to spew a mantra, as we saw with Al Jazeera's Holocaust denial video that was quickly pulled as it became obvious. We still have it on our Facebook page at MZ Jasser. Take a look at it. You'll see that it's radicalization. And that funding comes from major governments. Yes, white supremacism might be a problem, but please name for me one major government on the planet that's white supremacist that's spreading this stuff. Maybe RTTV, okay. But that's working with the Islamists, by the way. So the way you define white supremacism in America, the Russians are actually working closely with Iran, with Press TV, and actually with other anti-American outfits. So that, that doesn't really necessarily apply. But even if it did... The numbers are still small. And then you see the graphs. Talk about statistics. You see the graphs of numbers where you say, oh, there's four times more deaths and mass shootings from whites in America than there are from Asians or Middle Easterns or Muslims. And, and ladies and gentlemen, listen. I don't believe in these comparisons. I think you should treat every disease, whether the, that there's no threshold in which a number becomes important to treat. One mass shooting is enough to say there must be a problem in there if you see a manifesto and you see a politically inspired episode. Now, when you have more than one, you start to develop a pattern that maybe shows more need to treat. And yes, there is a pattern here. But again, the funding, even the ADL itself says the funding network of White supremacists is, is, is very poor at best, and they're all self-funded. And yes, there's a loose network globally, but not getting funding from major governments the way the Islamist funding is. That's an important distinction. And then you look at numbers. You want to look at numbers? Numbers make a difference if you're going to, let's say you are going to stereotype people as you see them, God forbid. And you want to look at numbers because the left is doing that now. They're saying, oh, look at the numbers. These, they, the, the right is so concerned about Islamist terror. Yeah, we're concerned about Islamist terror because of all the governments run by radical Islamists from Turkey's Erdogan to Qatar to Iran. Yes, we're concerned about it. This is not a small problem. A quarter of the world's population is Muslim. A third of them would vote Islamists into power as we saw in Turkey with the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and Iran and elsewhere. So there's revolutions necessary in order to defeat the fonts of these ideas. But even saying that, there's 230 million whites in America out of 306, 340 million. There's 4 million Muslims. You do the math. You need 60 times more episodes, arrests, attacks of terror 
by white Americans. Whatever metric you want to use, deaths, attacks, wounded, it needs to be 60 times more from whites than from Muslims in order to have this statistic that the left wants to use in racial politics, identity politics, in order for it to make sense that they're right, that you are more at risk if you face a white person than you are a Muslim. Now, I detest that racialization of America in this discussion. It's not about race, it's ideology. Yeah, as Omar finally got when she was talking about white supremacism, she said it's all about the ideology. Yep, it's not about the identity, is it? It's about the Islamism. It's not about whether they're from Syria or Egypt or Pakistan or Afghanistan or America. It's about the ideology. (laughs) Amazing how time changes. Simply amazing how time changes. Let me give you a little summary. 2001, 9-11. A few days later, few weeks later, we covered our eyes. Nothing to do with Islamism. Nothing to do with Islam. It's an ideology. Nothing to do with ideology. It's just Al-Qaeda. It's a radical terror group, probably. We don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. And then they find it's Al-Qaeda. They, we go to Afghanistan to knock them out where they are so we're not fighting them here. Nothing to do with ideology. It's just a terror group. Islam is peace. And we saw pictures last week on all over media with President Bush standing in front of Nihad Awad at the mosque in Washington. 2005, attacks in London. Islam, Islamism, whatever is irrelevant. It's a radical group. It's Al-Qaeda. We have to fight them more. We have to find out how they're radicalized on the internet, not radicalized locally. Then we found out later, no, they're actually radicalized locally. The internet's just a highway in which they reaffirm the ideas they're learning locally. But that's 05. 09, then we see Fort Hood. And we see, oh, somehow, yeah, it was weird how he, he was carrying around a soldier of Allah card at the at Walter Reed as a psychiatrist. He probably just was some odd person. Oh, Lockie was an American imam who radicalized him. But yeah, these are just extremists. They're not Islamists. And then the 180-page report from the FBI, the commission that looked at that shooting, that killing, that terror, didn't even cite his name, Nidal Hassan, didn't even cite Islam, Islamism. In 14, we say, oh, wait, now it's the revolutions, it's the Islamists that have hijacked, it's ISIS, not Islamism. It's ISIS. The Islamists want democracy. And then in 18, President Trump finally gives the military the freedom, the ability to knock out ISIS, and we decimate them, and they say, well, it doesn't matter. Islam, that doesn't even matter. ISIS, we won. See you later. We're out of here. That's the summary. But now in 19, we reach a tipping point of the number of attacks by white supremacists. And within a few minutes, we're on air hearing Congress people, Islamists, and far left say it's the root ideology of white supremacists is the key. Is the world upside down or is it just me? Help us. Help us demand that our thought leaders in America have consistency. Help us demand that our thought leaders in America always look at root ideology and begin to reform those ideas, to attack them, to marginalize them, 
and then replace them with inspirational ideas about the greatness of America to counter Islamism, the greatness of classical liberalism, freedom, and liberty against fascistic racial identity. It'll work for both things, both forms of terror. And do not equate the two. You need different specialists treating each one. Yes, there's global there's global networks for both, but to equate the threat of Islamist terror, where yes, there's only 4 million Muslims in America, but the network of a quarter of the world's population run by governments that are most, for almost every example, dictatorships, and then use Islamist supremacist ideas in their legal system, their Sharia supremacism, and in their networks to radicalize Muslims across the planet, many of which are not terrorists, they may condemn terror, but they are Islamists that are despising the West. And to say that's not a threat, we see it in a congresswoman. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. The language they use about Israel, the language they use about America radicalizes Muslims. It's part of the radicalization problem. And yet if we say that, it's racism. And they can, a day after a shooter who had virtually nothing to do with the Trump movement... They're now saying President Trump is a white supremacist. Absurd. Have we lost all rationality? And and you don't see the inconsistencies. America, we need to face the reality, the truth. And, and to have conversations, to be adult enough, mature enough to have conversations about the reality, the facts, the network that exists. What is white supremacism? How do you define it? Look at the ADL's website definition if you want. How do you define Islamism, Islamist terror? The same standards need to apply in how we define these things and applying the need to pay attention to root cause ideology. All right. Last, I want to do a flashback. Flashback to what happened almost exactly a year ago, August 3rd, 2018. That day, New Mexico police made a gruesome discovery in a raid on a remote compound that took place after police learned there were starving children living on the premises. Eleven malnourished children were safely removed from the site where five adult radical Islamists were training the children, in the words of a 13-year-old rescued from the camp, to commit jihad against the non-believers. Jihad against the non-believers. Police recovered multiple assault rifles that were used on the makeshift range where children were being trained to carry out school shootings, school shootings through tunnels and escape routes in this complicated camp. And the Islamist cult had constructed a 150-foot underground tunnel as an escape. The 30-foot trailer was hidden halfway underground and the portion that remained Above ground was covered in plastic to prohibit anyone from catching a glimpse of a three-year-old boy with a medical condition who had been kidnapped and reported missing. The day after the raid, the corpse of the missing three-year-old boy was found. He was denied access to medication. He was, he, he was killed. It was believed in an exorcism after the father deemed it necessary to cast out demons that his father felt he possessed as a young little boy. 
While I was horrified by this discovery last year, I thought, well, not only would this force us to begin to examine the process by which Islamist tyrants are created and they become radicalized, but the connection, the leaders of this camp were Siraj Wahaj Jr. and his family. Siraj Wahaj Sr. is a major board member, board advisor, funder and speaker, fundraiser and speaker for the Islamic Society of North America for Council on American-Islamic Relations and a major high-profile imam in the so-called mainstream American Muslim community. At the time the story broke last year, he was given sort of a pass because, oh, he reported it to the FBI. He was the one that said this child was uh, at risk, etc., and I said, well, listen, that's fine. Uh, nobody said Siraj Wahaj is advocating openly terrorism. But just like the alcoholic that seems to know how to live fine as a grotesque alcoholic, he may not ever drive drunk, he may not ever commit a crime, but he produces kids that take it many steps further, that then go from alcohol to driving tanks with being drunk, to using heroin and other drugs. And that's exactly what his children and grandchildren appeared to have done with Islamism, with radical Islamism. I thought our nation would wake up to the knowledge that a radical Islamist cult was training 11 children and that there were connections to some major American Muslim organizations. A year has elapsed and these troubling realities are all but a distant memory. We carry on with our lives as though these children who've been programmed to shed the blood of non-believers haven't been released into the very society they are trained to kill. Are we going to talk about it or are we going to pretend like we didn't see it coming when violent Islamism results in the death of innocent Americans? Remember the reaction of the media to this camp story? Now there was another camp related found in Alabama, by the way. Will we finally wake up as a nation or will we continue to drown in denial as we pray for peace and wonder what went wrong? It has nothing to do with the religion or ideology. Yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with the prayer. I pray often. But unfortunately, these militant Islamist tyrants are doing a lot more than praying for the establishment of a global caliphate. They are actively advancing their ideals against Western values and separate in a separatist mindset, a cultish separatist mindset that needs to be addressed. Our efforts will continue to be post-mortem and futile until we as a nation do the same and actively fight for American values against the scourge of Islamism. So I think, yes, it's apropos as America is looking at the last two non-Islamist shootings that happened and terror attacks that we reflect a year later on what happened in New Mexico. Out of the five adults who were arrested in connection with the compound, three are the children of Imam Siraj Wahaj Sr., prominent New York imam who was praised by nearly every Islamist organization in America. Why in God's name are we failing to examine the potential influence Wahaj Sr. and his organizations that he leads and has influence on as a thought leader and the things that he has said that are on tape on YouTube Video that is present on the internet that demonstrates what he believes about America and what he's doing. 
In my book, I talk about him. How I was at an ISNA conference, and he holds up the Quran and said he wants to replace the U.S. Constitution with this book. That was in 1995. How have we neglected to look at the ideology that the Islamist organization he supports for and inspired the five adults to set up a remote com- compound, which he denies, but the alcoholic doesn't see his meth-using sons have a correlation to his substance abuse, does he? Care's response to the disturbing news was to issue a public statement in which they thank Imam Siraj for his influence and condemn those hate groups who will attempt to smear Wahaj. <laughs> if the media had reported appropriately about seniors' links to Islamist organizations like CARE, the public would be better equipped to discern whether or not it's a good idea for CARE to host Imam Siraj Wahaj Sr. one day and then proceed to wander the halls of Congress along the likes of their newly elected congresswomen. We're not talking about any of that, are we? And we are yet to see any evidence that Imam Siraj Wahaj Sr. was directly related to the training compound itself, but the separatism that he preaches, preaches, and I saw myself in the 90s, certainly did not prevent it. And his apologetics and protection by his Islamist groups and media in the aftermath indicate anything but the need or the recognition or the realization that we need to change course as an American Muslim community. How many Muslims are exposed to separatism that he teaches? We are lying to ourselves if we deny the role that militant Islamism and the concept of jihad against non-Muslims played in the development of the New Mexico training compound. And it would be foolish to believe that that was the only such camp in America. Muslims who love the United States and the Constitution must realize that the only solution is for us to lead the exposure, the analysis, the dissection of the reality that is these radicals and their separatism. For too long, our unprecedented freedoms have been used against us. Our freedom is under direct attack, and it is time for Americans to define the battle lines and take the offense for liberty and freedom in the fight against Islamism, and to hold, when we have conversations about terrorism, to be consistent in the way that we approach them. This is Zudi Jasser on Blaze Radio Podcast. Thank you for being with me as always. God bless. I'll catch you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.